Too. We're so thankful for your presence and especially those that might be visiting with us. Thank you for coming and being with us as, as well. We're always thankful for the opportunity of being here even tonight. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 25 and we're going to be talking about living life to the fullest. What do you think is the ultimate life? It's a good question, isn't it? What do you think is the ultimate life? There are many people in our world today who are trying to just figure out what life is really all about. And unfortunately, many people around the world struggle to understand the true nature of life, what, what it's all about. And I believe that this is, the re- this is one of the reasons that they look in a variety of places rather than the scriptures to be able to find out just what God says in his word. What is it that completes a person? Why is it that, what is it that gives a person's life meaning, if you will? I believe that we all want to live our lives, our lives to the fullest. We want to be content. We want to be happy. We want to be successful in this life. So how do we go about doing that? What, what can we do to live life to the fullest? I'd like to draw your attention, if you will, to a man named Abraham, who many of us are familiar with from the Old Testament scriptures. And Abraham and Sarah were two of God's most devoted servants that we can read about in the past. And I truly believe that when you look at these two people, one of the things that that should stand out and jump out, if you will, from the pages of the Bible is the fact that they lived life to the fullest. And so with that in mind, I I want to begin by talking about the family of Abraham. And we're really emphasizing about his descendants. Abraham was a great man and the Bible even calls him a friend of God there in in James 2.23. And Abraham became a, a channel in bringing the Christ, that is the Messiah, the promised seed into this world to fruition. Now, as we think about his family and, or his descendants, it really begins with the promise of a son. We all know uh, that particular account. But we go back to Genesis 12 and verse 1 and following, and here we find that Abraham had called, or God had called Abraham, if you will, to leave his country, his kindred, and his family. And he said that he was to come into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And I will make thy name, thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That promise, as you well know, is a fulfillment in Jesus, according to Galatians 3. Those of us who have obeyed the gospel and uh, who are New Testament Christians, we, we are heirs according to that promise that was made. We are, as Paul said, Abraham's seed in Genesis 3.29. If you go to Genesis 15 and verse 1, God says to Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, bear in mind, if you will, that God has promised that in him, that through his lineage, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham and Sarah do not have any children at this time. 
In fact, Sarah has been known that she is barren. She is not to have any children. And so no doubt that they were wondering, how is it that God could promise them a son if she's barren? How is that even possible? The only heir in Abraham's household was a servant. And he specifically mentions Eliezer. But God tells him that an heir will come through his seed. Unfortunately, Abraham and Sarah, well, they attempted to assist God. They figure, well, since Sarah is barren, she can't have children. Maybe God was meaning that Abraham would lie with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and that would be the son of promise. I mean, how else is it going to happen? I can only picture in my mind what they're thinking this whole time. What's, how is this supposed to happen? And so as a result, Abraham and Hagar had a son named Ishmael. And really all they did a long time ago was just mess everything up. <laughs> they truly messed things up. And so this child was born in their old age. Now, of course, God didn't promise again to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. And it wasn't through Hagar, Sarah's handmaid. But it was unbelievable to Sarah and Abraham. In fact, they, they laughed about it. And uh, Isaac's name means laughter. But this child became the promised seed link in the chain. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, David's family, and so on. And that Christ came through Abraham's descendants. However, there is in discussing Abraham and the promise of his son, of what I refer to as the death of a saint. We're, we're discussing Abraham's family, specifically Abraham and Sarah, and they're gaining years in their lives. You know, Abraham was about 100 years old, and Sarah was 90 and she was barren. And so Abraham and Sarah had been married for many, many years. And the Bible tells us that Sarah died. We, we first think about his marriage to Sarah. And then following her death, his mourning for Sarah. And you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 23. And, and you listen to what he said. Moses here, of course, is the inspired writer. And he's given us a commentary on the life and the death of Sarah. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba. Kirjath Arba. The same in, is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. I think about all the events that took place in the lives of these two people. We really have a narration of their lives going back to Genesis chapter 12. We have the highs and the lows and the good times, the bad times, the joys, the, the sorrows, the frustrations, their steps of faith, their lack of faith as well. And yet we come to the end of her life here on planet Earth. And Moses says that when she died, Abraham came to mourn for her and to weep for her. Verse 2. Now this is the very first time in the Old Testament or of my knowledge in the Old Testament, that we have a record of somebody dying in a funeral taking place. Now, I, I know that we could refer to Luke 16 when the, dead, when the rich man died and he was buried. I'm sure that being a rich man, he had a funeral as well. But that in the Old Testament, I think this is the first time, to my knowledge, that 
there's the record of somebody dying in the funeral taking place. So arrangements are made for her burial. Now Abraham buys a cave, uh, a field in the cave of Machpelah so that he might bury his beloved wife. And on occasion we will talk about death and those of us here tonight were no strangers to death because we've had family, family members or friends or loved ones that, that have gone on and to their reward. But Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 and he, he calls it the sting of death. The sting of death. If you live long enough, you will feel the sting of death. You'll lose family members, friends, co-workers, classmates. And death is a common reality on planet earth. Now the Bible says, and it is appointed unto man once to die and then cometh the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. Death is a natural part of life and unless Jesus comes, right, we will face death. But Moses tells us here that when Abraham lost his wife, that he mourned for her. He wept for her. Those are just nat natural expressions for, to death. And, and sometimes individuals beat themselves up because they are in mourning. Because they continue to weep and shed tears over the loss of a loved one. Well, listen, that's a natural part of life, isn't it? It is. And, and so when death robs us of a loved one, we have an out. And so there's nothing wrong with mourning the loss of that person that has been very close to us. It, it's really like an amputation when a husband or a wife loses their mate. I, I think by the same token that individuals that lose children or grandchildren, it's like an amputation as well. It's like your arm just been cut off. I, I don't know what to do. And, and death is di difficult. It's difficult to deal with for all of us. But here we have the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. We have Abraham is mourning for Sarah. And then there's a third thing that we notice, and that is his moving forward after Sarah. That is after her death. Look, if you will, to Genesis 25, as, our, as was per our reading, but we'll begin with verse 1. And here's what the Bible says. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, now, people deal with death in, in so many ways. Sometimes individuals will lose a mate and they'll choose to live the life as a single person. And, that, and that's their prerogative. That's their choice. And, and they have every right to that choice. But sometimes, however, individuals would choose to marry again. They, they, they feel that they, they can't live out life uh, alone that they had to have someone else in their life. And I can understand that, that as well. You know, Teresa and I were just involved in the marriage of a couple, and that's Teresa's brother, Ken, and, and uh, Mary Jane's daughter, Sheila, of which both had lost their spouses. One was 13 years ago, and one was just in the last year. And uh, the reason I make this point is because I believe it's important for us in the face of death that, that we need to just move on. Life doesn't stop just because we lost a loved one. Life still goes on. I'm not saying it's easy when you lose somebody that has been a life partner or when you lose a child or a grandchild or, or a brother or a sister or a friend of, of some sort, a coworker, of somebody who's been close to you for many, many years. It's not easy to deal with. But again, 
Life goes on. And so I can't tell you the number of times that I've, I've gone to the hospital and I've even been there a number of times that, and maybe I've been in homes as well of those that were under hospice care. And, and I just think about these people, they're, they're, they're about to step out into eternity. They're, they're about to go into the, the realm beyond, either within hours or maybe even a couple of days. There's a vast world out there and many are going about their daily, their daily root, uh, duties, trying to decide what they're going to do tonight and maybe of what they were going to do this weekend and such. And really the, the bottom line is, is that life goes on, well, whether we like it or not. People are busy. The world doesn't stop. Life goes on and when death comes, it leaves a void we cannot replace that person that has died. There's no way to do that. If it did, we'd, we'd, we would do it, wouldn't we? With a lot of people. But I would not even try to encourage us to attempt to fill that void in the sense of replacing him or her. But I would, but I would say that we, we do have to move on. And of course, moving on can be different in everybody's life. But we have to understand that it, it takes time in the Lord. I'm not sure that we ever get over losing a loved one, somebody that was very close to us. When I think, what I think occurs is that we learn just to, to live with it, right? We, we learn to bear it the best we can. And so time in the Lord. Here's what the psalmist said many years ago. He said, God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46.1. And so if you read Genesis 25, Abraham marries Keturah and they, they have children. And so Abraham, for all intents and purposes, has moved forward. And there's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight as we talk about the family of Abraham. But notice also the fortune of Abraham. Now, as we talk about the fortune of Abraham, what I want you to see is the distribution of his assets. I notice first of all the, the wealth of Abraham, verse 5, where the Bible tells us, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Now remember, Isaac is the son of promise. It's through him and his lineage that Christ would come into this world. Isaac was that son of promise. And Abraham had gave all that he had unto Isaac. Abraham was a very rich man. You go all the way back to Genesis 13 and verse 2, and Moses tells us regarding Abraham that he was rich in livestock and in gold and in silver. Wow. Even back then. In chapter 24, verse 35, listen, if you will, to what is said about the wealth of this man. And the Lord had blessed my master greatly, and he has become great and he had given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he has. Now, there are a lot of things that we can say about this, but here's just a couple. Number one, there, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. And I'm grateful to the people that are well off and especially individuals who are willing to share what God has blessed them. 
It's, it's amazing. And Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, that those who are rich are not to be haughty or high-minded, but rather they're to trust in the living God. They are to distribute or share what they have for the betterment of mankind. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to people that have money and they're willing to use the resources to help other people to further the cause of Christ. But number two is this. We can't take it with us. We can't take it with us. I, I mean, when you really think about it, Abraham was a wealthy man. But guess what? He was going to die. And what he left was going to be somebody's. Right? And, and at death, everything that Abraham possessed here on earth would stay behind. We're, we're but stewards of that which has been entrusted in our care. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 7. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is, it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And of course, we, you know, we may have the idea that we can take the, our possessions with us, that we're to somehow control our estate after that. We, we can to a certain extent, by the, by the way of a last will and testament, you know, but we can't take our money. We can't take our stocks and our bonds and our land and our houses, our cars and our clothes. All of that just, that stays behind. And it would eventually become someone else's. And so Abraham is a wealthy man and he gives everything that he has into the hands of his promised son, Isaac. Now, Notice verse 6, because here we have the wisdom of Abraham. The text tells us, But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he let, lived eastward into the east country. Now you, you might ask the question, well, why did he do that? Uh, you know, why? I, I think first off that he wanted to make sure that Isaac was in full control complete control of his estate. And so he entrusted everything that he had into his hands. But secondly, I believe that he sent the sons that were born to him by the concubines, that we better, for lack of a better term, a girlfriend, I guess you would say, that he had on the side. He sent them away. So that after his death, there would be no disputes with Isaac about what had been left into his hands. Because you see, Families are at war when somebody dies. It is amazing of the attitude of people when their loved one dies. Unbelievable. There's all kinds of activities that go on. People wrestling for the control of another individual's estate. This is going to be mine. I got my name written underneath it. This is going to be mine over here. My name's on it. Oh, your name's on that? Okay. That's amazing. I get the jewelry. You know what I say? I want the Bible. I want their Bible. That, you can have all the rest of that stuff. But that, it's amazing that people wrestle for that. So Abraham, I think in wisdom, he said, guess what? That's not going to happen to my estate. I will stop that. Now, I'm sure that, that that doesn't happen, but I'm going to send them away. That's what he did. But there's a third thing that we see in verses 7 through 10, and that is the future of Abraham. 
When we talk about the future of Abraham, I guess the first thing that we notice is his death. Because Abraham, like Sarah, he's about to step out into eternity. He's going to die. So the brevity of his life. Look at verse 7. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, a hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years. Abraham, to live, he lived to be a 175 years of age. That's a long time, isn't it? Now the psalmist uh, talks about how we may be blessed to live to be 70 years of age. And he, he said it may be the case that we live to be 80 years of age. But he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. Psalm 90 verse 10. What he was saying is that you're not going to get out of this life without, you're not going to get out of this life without tasting the sting of death unless Jesus comes first. That's why in Psalm 90 and verse 12, the psalmist says, so teach us to number our days, right? I mean, we may apply our hearts to wisdom. James in the long ago compared our, our life as like a vapor. It, it appeared for a short time and then it vanisheth away. James 4, 14. Job said the man born of woman's of full days or of few days and full of trouble. Job 14, 1. 175 years of age. That's a long life. I think about people today that live to be 80 or 90 years of age. That's a long life. Just yesterday, we celebrated my father-in-law, his 90th birthday. Actually, his birthday is tomorrow, but we celebrated it Saturday, his 90th birthday. He said, I, didn't, I, I didn't, surely didn't know I was going to make it to this point, but he says, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Dick Harris is 97 years young. He'll be 98 on August 4th. Allison's 95 years young. Mr. Wayne Bishop, he's with us. He's 96, and it's good to see him here tonight as well. But people that live that long are blessed. Now on the flip side of this is that 70, 80, 90 years, 175 years, nothing is in comparison to eternity. Even that 175, even Methuselah, who lived 969 years old, the oldest man we have written in the Bible, and yet nothing is in comparison to eternity. Just think about that. Abraham lived almost 4,000 years ago. He's been dead for almost 4,000 years. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 talks about this physical body that deteriorates as it grows older. And he said in verse 7, he says that, that eventually death intervenes. And, and, and then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The brevity of his life. But then I want you to consider, if you will, the blessings of Abraham's life. When we talk about the blessings of his life, look again at verse 8 of Genesis 25. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. <laughs> I think about the fullness of life, the fullness of his life. I mean, a lot of living was packed in those 175 years. Those of us who are here today, my, my encouragement would be to you that we ought to use every day as if it were our last. You know, we ought to strive to maximize every day and make the most out of life, right? 
Whatever talents, whatever abilities God has blessed you with, use them to his glory. And Brother Jesse doing that even tonight. We're thankful. Living the kind of life that will be a blessing to others. Living the kind of life that ultimately brings glory to Almighty God because that's what life is all about. When we talk about the fullness of life, I'm reminded of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12. And Solomon, you recall, he experienced a lot of different things in his life. As a matter of fact, Solomon tried it all. He tried it all. And if you go through the 12 chapters of that book, you'll find that Solomon tries one thing right after another. And his conclusion was this. All of it was vanity. All of it was vanity. It's like grasping at the, at the wind, right? Just grasping at the wind. And so in chapter 12 and verse 13, he tries to put life into perspective. And he's writing to his sons. And here's what he said. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. What is life all about? What is it that brings fullness to my life? What's going to make me happy? What's going to give me a sense of peace and accomplishment about my life? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole sphere of man. That's what life is all about. That's what a lot of people miss. A lot of people in our world today think about self, what makes them happy. Selfishness. It's all about what makes me tick. It's what brings me gratification in this life and pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure. Nothing wrong with gratification. Don't get me wrong. And as we said a moment ago, nothing wrong with riches and wealth. But the point is that we need to understand what really is important in life. Take a step back. Examine your life. That, this is what gives it meaning. When I used to talk to people who had risen through the years, I, I don't ever recall speaking to anyone who had lived a, a faithful life for the Lord that had said to me, you know, I, I regret dedicating my life to God. I've never heard anybody say that. Oh, I, I you know, I, I, re I regret dedicating my life to God. I, I don't ever recall that being said. However, you would be surprised in the number of people who have expressed regret because they did not do this or that in the realm of the spiritual thing. It's about fullness of life. Then add to that faithfulness in life, if you will. Not only do we see the fullness of Abraham's life, but we see the faithfulness of Abraham's life. In James 2, in verse 23, we learned that Abraham is called the friend of God. Was Abraham perfect? <laughs> no. He was not perfect. As a matter of fact, back in Genesis 12, you know what Abraham did? He lied about Sarah. <laughs> he lied about her. Not only did he do it once, but he did it twice. Oh, he's not a perfect person. But when you read Hebrews, Hebrews 11 about all those great men and women of God, guess whose names you find there in that great chapter, Abraham and Sarah, among the many. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, by faith Abraham, by faith Abraham, 
when he was called out to go into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Faith and obedience. I, I believe that's why he was called the friend of God. You know, Jesus said, ye are my friends indeed, if you do whatsoever I command you, John 15, 14. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's pretty simple enough. And so here's a man who was faithful. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. We're not perfect, but we're striving to be faithful. John said in the long ago, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, because why? Jesus is the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. First John 1, 7. And so he's saying here that we may stumble, we may fall as children of God. But if we live a life in harmony with the will of God, the promise is the blood of Christ will continue to cleanse us and wash us from that sin. We can have the assurance of heaven. How do I know that? First John 2, 1, he says, my little... Uh, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John is saying our ideal is to rise above sin. That's important. If we succumb to temptation and we sin, what do we do? Well, we turn to the Lord. We ask his forgiveness. We repent and the Lord cleanses us from our sins. Simple enough. Now let's talk about his destiny. We talked about his death, the fullness of his life, and the faithfulness of life. But in his destiny, there are two things here. Look at Genesis 25, verse 8, if you will. Moses said, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. First, the reunion of Abraham with his people. But notice that phrase, Abraham was gathered to his people. What's he talking about here? Well, he's saying that when death occurs, this body stays behind. It stays behind. The inward man, that is the spirit of man, steps out into that eternal realm, the Hadean realm. And when, and when we talk about Hades, there are really two places that are mentioned in the Bible. This Hadean realm is the realm of the dead, that is the realm of the departed spirits. It's a place for the righteous and the unrighteous. And there's this great gulf that's in the between there that they can't cross over from one place to the other. Luke 16. And the righteous are said to go to this place called paradise. Paradise. Luke 23, 43. You remember while Jesus was on the cross and he said to one of the thieves, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, that's the abode of the righteous. But it's also called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16, 22. The abode of the unrighteous, though, is spoken of by Peter in 2 Peter 2, 4. And it is a place that in the original language is called Tartarus. T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Tartarus. It is the abode of the unrighteous. And Peter speaks of the angels that sinned. And he said, God cast them down to Tartarus. Some translations say hell, but really in the original, it is Tartarus, the abode of the dead, the, the abode of the unrighteous. And so Abraham dies. He's gathered to his people. What people do you think he was gathered to? I think he was re reunited with his wife, Sarah. 
although they're not considered husband and wife anymore in heaven, brother and sister, but he's reunited with with her and the other faithful brethren that have gone on. Sometimes the question is asked, will we know one another in the next world? My answer would be absolutely. I, I, I can't imagine living this life to the fullest, being blessed with the associations of so many people and then stepping out into eternity only to never see them again or know them ever again. To the faithful, I would say that we will one day be together and we will know our loved ones. In Matthew chapter 17, we read about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah appeared on that mountain, verse 3. Well, Peter, James, and John had never seen Moses and Elijah. They lived a long time ago, but they recognized them. Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah. And so when we die, we do not lose our identity. Abraham was gathered to his people. When you and I step out in eternity, I believe that if we go to heaven, our people and our people go to heaven, there's going to be a grand reunion. I wanted to say great, but it's going to be grand. Just the other day, we were able to take Sister Eva Jane from the temporary residence, I guess you would say, and put her alongside of Gordon for the final thing. They got the elevator fixed enough to do that. And I know that that was a, a great reunion just to, to have the bodies near each other, but she already experienced the grand reunion when she died. To be alongside Gordon and so many others of her loved ones, brothers and sisters and, that have gone to heaven a wonderful thing, grand reunion. And then finally, the resting place of Abraham with his people. When death comes, the spirit that is the inward man steps out into eternity and it's left to our family members, for the lack of the better way to say it, to dispose of our body, if you will. That is to give us a proper burial. Sarah, when she died, Abraham bought a cave in Hebron, which really is located just south of Jerusalem. And so when he died, the Bible says in verse 9, that the sons Isaac and Ishmael, did you hear that? Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre. In verse 10, Abraham was buried alongside of Sarah, his wife. And here are two sons who are from the opposite ends of the spectrum, if you will, that have come together for the purpose to bury their father. I'm not sure how many funerals I've conducted over the years. It's been a bunch of them, more than I like to think. But when I stand at the, at the side of an open grave, and I know that that person has been a faithful child of God, the thing that really comes to my mind is that this is not the end. Death is simply a corridor that leads to a whole new way of life, if you will. That is a whole new realm of existence. In, in eternity. Yes, the body is placed in the ground. Abraham and Sarah were placed in that cave nearly 4,000 years ago. And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that at that point in time, it's known only to God in heaven, that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Jesus said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good 
unto the resurrection of life. They have done they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5, 28 and 29. One day the body will be resurrected. It will be reunited with that inward spirit that is with the soul of man. And we will then reside either in heaven or hell. And so I want to close tonight by asking this question. Are you living life to the fullest? There are a lot of things that can be said about Abraham and Sarah. But to me, when I look at the life of Abraham, what comes to my mind, that here's a guy, here's a guy that lived life to the fullest, if you will. He made wise usage of his life. But can I ask you this question as well? Are you making wise usage of your life? The clock is ticking. And Paul said that we are to redeem the time, Ephesians 5, 16. Solomon in the long ago said, Boast not thyself to, uh, of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, Proverbs 27, 1. And so my encouragement, my advice to all of us is to live life in such a way so that one day we can be with God in heaven. Well, are you a Christian? The time is now. We're going to sing this song of encouragement, number, number 62, Have Thine Own Way. And I hope that you'll think about your part in life, whether or not you're saved. Now, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God, you're willing to make a change in your life called repentance. If you're willing to make the good confession, go down into the waters of baptism to, to be buried in that watery grave and to rise to walk in newness of life, heaven can be your home. And all you have to do is to live faithfully until the end, until that time comes, unless Jesus comes first. And you can do that even tonight. The, the dinner we're about to have can wait just a few more minutes so we can baptize you. Or maybe you as a child of God that's wandered away, if you want to be restored, it can wait just a few more minutes as we sit down and we talk to you and you express your desire that you want to be restored back to that first love. Because you see, the things that are going on in the world doesn't matter at this point, but this matters. Whether you want to become a Christian or will be restored back to God, the Father and Jesus. And we're here to be with you and for you. All you have to do is let it be known. Once you come, as together we stand and sing.